Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Hello, and welcome to the Hello First Name podcast. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 13 from the book Hello First Name, namely personalization on inbound platforms. We will be discussing that together with the Lars Beer, Colin Peterson. Lars, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rasmus. I'm happy to be here. Lars, uh, for the for the people who don't know Lars, he was a vital part of uh, the DXP slash CMS side course personalization journey for almost a decade. And uh, was a VP of business optimization before he went on to found the composable web platform Uniform in San Francisco. So, uh, but yeah, you have a tr- quite a track record, uh, Lars. Uh, during the years, you also uh, published a book on personalization. So uh, happy to have a, a fellow author here uh, with me in the studio. Um, you were with Sidecore for many years, both in Denmark and the US. And uh, since then, first you started the uh, Altol agency, which then became uh, the platform Uniform. But in your own words, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your career? Yeah, sure. So, um, so thanks for the introduction. So, yeah, my my name is uh, Lars. I've been sort of um, building websites and digital experiences since '97. Um, back then, it was very much uh, HTML. Um, getting all my neighbors to uh, to to go online, right, with the websites. So uh, many of them out there back then. And then '99, uh, I started an agency where we also had our own home baked CMS like all agencies had back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. That's true. And then um, then uh, seven years later, we sold that uh, company to a vendor here in the uh, Nordics, Visma. I was there for probably a little less than uh, two years. And then I started with the sidecore. So getting back to the CMS roots and then um, CMS was changing back then, right? So 2008, 2009, we sort of thought Content management was uh, commoditized, mm. and that's the whole beginning of the wave into digital experience platform, also called a DXP, yeah. where we essentially added many uh, capabilities on top of content management, personalization, analytics, marketing automation, mm. and uh, so forth, and um, and had a really good experience uh, in Sidecore. I left Sidecore in uh, 2018, and then uh, started working with bigger brands, mainly helping them on optimizing their experiences. Personalization was a big uh, part of that. And then uh, sort of fell in love with the modern way of building web experiences. So mm. faster web, scalable experiences uh, where you could run Super Bowl commercials and your site didn't crash. <laughs> and then um, also saw a JavaScript where beginning to win the web. So, uh, so that means that the modern web had different requirements for the uh, stack. And most of the uh, older platforms wasn't really compatible with the uh, modern web. And that, that is what we set forth to solve with the uh, uniform mm. to essentially create a composable web, web platform where we can connect any data, any content, any technology with your front end of choice. 
and then be able to run edge experiences and also provide a visual workspace for marketers and merchants where they can manage and compose their digital experiences. So, um, All right. Yeah, so yeah, I've been quite, uh, a, quite a journey. Um, but coming back to your, your time in Sidecore, uh, I think most will remember or do remember or have the image of Sidecore as a brilliant CMS that then later sort of evolved into the uh, the DXP. Uh, how big a part of your job was personalization when you were at Sidecore? It was it was a big uh, part, right? In in the beginning, Sidecore when I was there. Um, Then Sidecore was mostly a CMS and then evolved into a digital experience platform. And with the digital experience platform came personalization and data mm. and analytics. And uh, that evolved uh, over the years. And uh, you saw other vendors basically follow that. Adobe, um, Optimizely, which was then uh, EV yeah. Server, Acquia, and so forth. So you had this trend among the web CMS vendors that they became digital experience platforms. So... The first couple of years, I was mostly focused on the CMS. Then um, I also um, attended some um, diploma at uh, ITU, IT University in Copenhagen, and I wrote my final thesis on behavioral targeting. So mm. I was in love with personalization and the opportunities and what can we do? And at the same time, Psycho was building from CMS into DXP, and then um, I I just uh, <laughs> fell in love with that and wanted to do more and um, and also. Uh, help customers realize what is the potential, yeah. but also breaking down some of the um, hard uh, issues in getting started, right? Where do we start? Yeah. What's the process? Who should be on the team exactly. and uh, all of that? Yeah. And is it is it right to assume that uh, there was mostly on-site personalization and not so much marketing automation and not so much uh, campaigns? Yeah. Yeah, mainly uh, personalization focused on web and then later on uh, apps and uh, obviously not so much in the marketing automation tool. So mm. the, the way um, my experience have evolved with personalization has been more around unknown visitors from the mm. very first anonymous visits to the website, using that data, beginning to understand what's their in the moment intent, yeah. build that uh, profile and then use that data to personalize to get them to the conversion. And yeah. once you get the conversion, that's where you typically have a known contact and then you go into the marketing automation platform. Exactly, yeah. All right, I think you are you just qualified as a perfect guest for for this episode then. Uh, so I'm really, really happy that you, that you could make it and you could find the time to do this. Very happy um, to be so, yeah. And the, uh, I mean, I was I was looking at Uniform and your, your website and what it does. And how does this, Blazing fast web, as you describe it, how does that fit together with personalization? Yeah, I would say it's like hand in glove. <laughs> and um, and to go a little bit back and explain why it's hand in glove, we have we have seen these um, essentially two movements, right? You have the DXP movement, where it has been very focused on marketers and merchants, and uh, essentially were sold with the promise of one-to-one omnichannel personalization. In reality, it was a little bit uh, harder because of infrastructure, uh, also because of how sites and apps was developed. In most cases, you have to develop based on the paradigms of the platform you chose. And yeah. that means that over time, developers uh, really moved away from from the bigger platforms because they wanted to use JavaScript, uh, modern React, meta frameworks, and uh, so forth. So, yeah. so you, have, you have a lot of brands out there on a DXP and... Many of the DXPs are server-side. 
So that means you have a visitor to the website, there's some data, that data is processed by the server, and then you get a response. And typical, that is slow. And then Google introduced a performance metrics lighthouse score that also impacts your um, search engine rankings. So that means yeah. that if you have a slow response, then you get dinged. And if you are fast site, then you will um, get um, a, a good position in the uh, search mm. engine uh, rankings. <laughs> so if, if you look at the other approach of building a website, what we call more the modern web, that's where you have different headless uh, systems. So essentially headless systems means that you can have headless content management, you fetch the content from a fast API, you can have headless commerce, etc. They are more unopinionated about your whole front end. So that means developers can use whatever, connect it to these sources, and you can build blasting fast uh, web experiences. Mm. But the downside here is that most of those experiences are static because they are very uh, opinionated by the developers, how they have built it, and um, and the marketers, merchants don't really have the power tools uh, to control that, right? Mm. So, so essentially, that is what we are solving with the uh, uniform. So um, in terms of a uh, hand in glove and how performance uh, meets personalization, if you have a static, fast website, that will outperform a slow, personalized website. So that means in that... In terms of uh, efficiency and effect. In terms of uh, conversion rates, right? Yeah. In, in terms of the business value that it's, yeah. it's generating. Because... Because Google will uh, make it rank higher because it's so fast that it will be higher up in the uh, SERPs. Yeah, there's there's actually two um, different uh, metrics there, right? One is, of course, the search engine rankings. If it's painfully slow, you might end up on page two that we never get yeah. to, right? So no one uh, will ever notice if it's highly personalized because they'll never find the website. They, they, they will go to your competitor's website that yeah. are fast and static, right? Yeah. But, um, but those that that really want to find you, right? And they come to your site and it's yeah. painfully slow, then many of them will have a higher likelihood of bouncing because yeah. they, they don't want to wait eight seconds for something to respond, right? And yeah. then uh, and then they're already back to the search engine and off to the competitor yeah. uh, website. Yeah. So um, opening so, app two, three, four. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. E e exactly. So so in a perfect world, right? You, you want to personalize because personalizing experiences have a, proven effect on conversion rates. Mm. So uh, a study um, done years ago have an average benchmark of sites that personalize of 19%, right? So mm. that means 19% more conversions. That is great to have. Oh, but yeah. if you only have 10% um, uh, of all the visitors that should arrive on your website, the business case is not as good as a fast uh, static site. Obviously. So hand in glove, you have both, right? You have super fast site that is also personalized. So you mm. get the visitors in, they don't bounce off, and then you um, connect them with the right experiences, getting them from A to B with the personalized content. Interesting. So I think this is a this is probably a trade off that marketers who are mainly working with campaigns and uh, even advertising or with the marketing automation are not aware of. So this this trade off between speed and personalization that they can actually. Uh, compete uh, against each other. They sort of weigh each other out. They are reciprocal uh, in a way, and unless you can both have the cake and eat it too, then you probably have to, to choose either or. But sounds like you are at, you at least at Uniform have a part of uh, that solution. So that's yeah, pretty definitely. interesting. Uh, so supposing you had a chance to familiar, familiarize yourself with the bow tie of personalization. Yeah. How does that model fit with the way that, that you've been used to working with personalization in the past and or present maybe even? Yeah. 
Yeah, so so looking at your model and and obviously your model is um, is good and it's built more for omnichannel use cases. Oh yeah. If uh, yeah. if I look at the uh, four different elements there, where you have uh, segments, you have moments of uh, truth, mm. uh, you have inbound and uh, outbound. Uh, so essentially, you have the uh, content messages feeds and, and messages ex exactly. Um, in in website personalization, the segmentation is not something you have upfront, right? Because you start mm. from the very first anonymous visits to your website. Yeah. And then you yeah. start building, what are you here for? What is your intent? And you collect data and you use that data for personalization. So the segmentation is not that much in use as it is in, for instance, marketing automation platform. Mm. Instead, you are hooking into moments of truth, which um, we typically refer to as uh, intent and uh, yeah. understanding your in the moment intent. Mm. And then, um, and then you have different uh, tactics uh, from there, right? Um, obviously, messages is typical, but it's more crafted. So mm. that means that you come to the site. We understand you have this specific intent, or you match uh, this uh, prospect list that we, uh, in a B two B scenario, are trying to yeah. uh, convince to buy our products. Perfect. Then messaging is very, very important. For instance, highlighting specific case study within your vertical uh, that you're in. Yeah. Um, the content feed is um, also super important. Um, it's a little bit easier to get started with the content feed and personalizing yeah. that, where the crafted, the messaging requires more. Um, but we are also seeing that with the help of AI, that can be more easier because yeah. now we can begin to connect, create this call to action for this long format content, and then create eight different variants of this uh, call to action based yeah. on the different uh, intents we have on the uh, website. So three out of the four elements in the bow tie fits very well with um, website personalization. I think uh, I think that the segmentation part could also refer to geographies. So I think the the, the moment that you go to a .com site and it says, wow, it looks like you're from Denmark or Norway or whatever, would you like to be redirected to the local site? That's actually also some kind of, of segmentation, but at a at a domain level, uh, maybe even. So, but of course, I mean, if you only have very little to go from, it can be really hard to define a segment. It's yeah, perhaps yeah. more more in terms of where where are you heading at the website. Uh, but I think we'll we'll get back to things that you should do before you necessarily go into personalizing uh, on the web. And 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 I I totally agree. The the segmentation, as I read it in the bow tie, is more focused on contact attributes and because of these contact attributes you match in a segment yeah uh, the other parts is what we often refer to as uh, signals yeah. so for instance yes you could be in france or you come mm -hmm. from a specific campaign and that's definitely something that is um, super important for personalization yeah. Yeah. Um, and essentially if, if you think about you have a funnel right you have most at the top everyone coming to your website you probably have 30 percent bounces so you have 70 percent remaining the data that you have on the very first visit, the very first hit on your website is important. And that could be location, but it could also be a campaign specific. Yeah. What um, marketing campaign brought you in? Yeah. Uh, what was the call to action of that uh, specific uh, campaign? Could also be the, um, the page you land on, could say something about your potential uh, intent uh, and so forth. So, th so that is the data you start building from. Mm. And then you, build the intent uh, towards all those different uh, signals. Like yeah. if you are browsing uh, two product categories out of 10, you, you browse uh, product category X 10 times, you uh, browse a product category 
Y three times, then most likely you're most interested in product category X yeah. with some uh, towards a product category Y. Therefore, the content feed should show more of that mm-hmm. and probably a little bit of a, a blend between those two. There's also, uh, I mean, we were talking about speed earlier, uh, and this has to be lightning fast because I think you, if you want to personalize based on those signals here, uh, and I think I would, like in the terminology of the book, I would probably put an uh, equality sign between signals uh, and uh, data in this case. And then you can, I mean, sometimes the data and the signal in itself doesn't require any interpretation. And it's just, a, it's basically an insight uh, to begin with. Other times you need to do some calculation or you'd have an algorithm algorithm uh, playing along or trying to decide these signals that we see now, what are they, uh, which in- intent are they actually a sign of? What insight can we derive from those? So, Speed is not only about page load, but also about how quickly you can determine a segment. And yeah. if that's a, a complicated algorithm, uh, th- there's another trade-off there, uh, which uh, you, you need to, to consider. Uh, but uh, looking at, uh, at, at on-site personalization or even in-app uh, personalization, uh, so in the book we call it inbound platforms to sort of put, uh, put, uh, put websites and app uh, under one umbrella term. How do you believe marketers can create the, the most value from personalization on a homepage? Yeah, I, I believe um, that where most brands should start and marketers should start is truly understanding their customers. Well, what are they trying to achieve? And then um, actually have a little bit of a mystery shopper uh, experience, right? Like I'm interested in this product that we sell. I come from search and here's my experience because that that is often where you can see how bad aesthetic experience is, but I, I want this. And now we are showing something completely different, right? Or I, I want to be, um, um, at, uh, go into this uh, job application, right? And now I'm seeing all these uh, products, but I just read uh, 10 pages about why you're a great company to work for. So having a little bit of that uh, mystery shopper experience is really good. Mm-hmm. And then start uh, crafting personalized experiences with empathy. Mm. And essentially, the uh, the focus for personalization is providing the right parts from A to B. You're here. Here's all the different signals that we collect about you. What are you actually trying to achieve? Let's help you get there and make it more relevant uh, for you. Um, and uh, obviously, the, the longer sales process that you have, the more um, objectives you have as part of the journey, right? It could be... Yeah. Um, in the beginning, it's just getting you to the relevant page or consume a video or download a gated asset or yeah. an open asset. And then in the next um, visits, we are building towards getting a, a transaction, which could be like sign up for newsletter or, or become a known uh, uh, contact. But understanding where your visitors are, what they are trying to achieve, and then build the uh, personalization to mm. get them and get them to consume more of your content, engage with your brand show relevant content and um, and use content to make them fall in love with your product and services and want to do a business with you. I think that's a, but that's a tall order, <laughs> uh, getting all those things in place. So, so, so where should one start with personalization other and uh, maybe even before that, which things are there to fix first? Can you start too early with, with personalization? How do you see that? No, you, you can't really start too early, right? Um, um, and you, you have two uh, scenarios, right? You have either where you have the stack going and now you're adding personalization into it. 
Mm. And then you have the uh, clean slate where you are architecting something new. And yeah. part of architecting something new, it's super important to consider personalization because you are most likely investing in content strategy and UX, information architecture on the website. And all those different decisions can help inform personalization. Like your mm. information architecture could be used to capture intent. Yeah. So for instance, product category services, uh, Are you looking at services about us, uh, careers yeah. and so forth yeah. is good uh, pointers uh, for that. And then also um, tagging content so you can build up that um, that profile of your, your visitors. So so you, you can't really start too early. There's, there's definitely a lot of low hanging fruit. Mm. So if you're a marketer, just want to get going with personalization and uh, and begin to, begin to get some experience, mm. then hooking in. So for instance, your existing marketing campaigns could be a, a slam dunk, right? If you yeah. have 30% of your um, site visits coming from marketing campaigns, PPC, display advertising, email, for instance, understanding those different campaigns, what is the taxonomies are you using UTM underscore mm -hmm. campaign or some uh, query string where you have data about the campaign and then tie that into personalization. Absolutely. Um, Super low hanging fruit. But, I, but I've often seen, and and this is, uh, I think this uh, this is discussion about whether this is personalization or not. I, be, I mean, if if you are the one as a marketer creating the intent and creating the uh, the action of uh, the people in your campaigns or in the automation flows, actually going to the web, uh, to your website in the first place, then quite often you will not lead them to the front page. You will have a specific landing page designed for that particular campaign or for that particular ad or for that particular. So, so that uh, landing page doesn't necessarily need to be personalized. No, it is. A, it's a static, totally static page about uh, a very specific product uh, or very specific scenario or moment of truth and how the the end customer could uh, react in that given scenario. So it's a completely static page, but because you're the one choosing whom to send there it actually does become part of a personalized customer experience, even if it, the content is static. Is, is that personalization or, or isn't it? The, the landing page is, is not really personalization unless you know something about the visitor from previous visits and now you are personalizing, for instance, the, uh, the content feed on that page, right? Mm. Here's more recommendation, uh, recommended readings for you. But it, it's really where you go next, right? If you know... You come from a marketing campaign with a specific call to action, targeted specific group of uh, people and um, from a specific uh, channel. Then you can use that when you, for instance, click on the homepage or you browse other pages because you know that was what brought them into the website. Mm. And uh, you also know that if they haven't converted on the form you have on the landing page, they might need some more validation. They might need yeah. to see some customer testimonials in terms mm. of that specific product or services that uh, brought them in. So so that's why you can almost, almost think about it as retargeting. So you're retargeting based on what brought them in and then yeah. get them a closer, um, closer, step closer to, uh, to what you're trying to achieve. On top of that, you should also build um, a behavioral profile of the visitor. Mm. So they might come in from a specific marketing campaign. And let's say that marketing campaign is a, a product in a category C. And then you start um, browsing product category X, right? And that's where you spend all your time. Then the behavior will uh, start building that, yes, you are brought in by this specific product category, this specific product, but it actually looks like 
you're mostly interested in this range of uh, products ah. and that can uh, begin to uh, to basically be uh, triggered real time on the website hmm. so so that there's many uh, different uh, mechanics in place often yeah. we see uh, setting up more uh, behavioral uh, data to understand that is um, is is something that comes as a step two step one is really understanding okay if we have 30% of all our traffic and we get them to these hundreds of landing pages and we can see in our analytics that from there they go to a page a b c and mm. and if then uh, that's where we can start placing a dynamic component showing some content related to uh, what initially brought them in so one of the uh, topics that we cover in the book is uh, the distinction between explicit and implicit personalization where we talk about explicit personalization where you are being very open about why you're showing what you're showing to the end customer. Yeah. In, the, in the case of the scenario that you're describing here, would you consider a more implicit approach where you would just by random, it would appear as if by random that you're actually showing something that is relevant, or would you make it open and transparent to the uh, visitor, in this case, uh, potentially the customer? that this is something that they're seeing because of what they did before or what they browsed or how do you see that? Yeah, in, starting with, with the uh, last uh, question there, um, transparency is always good, right? And especially as we live in a privacy first world, mm. um, then it's good to to really highlight why you're seeing this experience, right? That could be a yeah. box. We believe that you have this interest, therefore we are, we are showing you this, or it could be an icon on the uh, personalization. So yeah. um so I'm I'm a big fan big believer for, for those interested in whatever yeah they're yeah. showing the products there because that that also leads a way for the visitor to actually change it so uh, so the way we um, we typically see more explicit versus implicit personalization where implicit is more something we believe so we believe you're interested in this or you have this intent based mm-hmm. on your uh, click stream uh, for instance right Explicit is something that is more true about mm-hmm. the uh, visitor, right? So that could be a specific concept data, yeah. but it could also be that you you essentially say, no, 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 I'm I'm not interested in this, right? I'm interested in this. That's explicit. I I want this, right? Exactly. And then yeah. and then that uh, basically takes a, a higher ranking. Right. So coming a bit back to the the bow type personalization, we were discussing the different types of uh, of content that there are. So we have the the messages, as you say, that they're crafted. Those are those are something that we as marketers uh, build. Uh, that's where we pour in our creativity. That's where we can get a little bit of help from generative AI. Uh, we may not put it on full autopilot yet, uh, as we'd avoid any uh, traffic accidents, as with self driving cars. Uh, but still, it can uh, greatly help us. Uh, and then we have the content feeds, which is mainly content that we take from somewhere else, and then we we do something with the content feed. We either slice and dice it, we take parts of it, we uh, highlight certain items based on whatever uh, properties they might have in common, or we we filter them, or we we rank them uh, even according to to personal preferences. How do you see the balance between uh, personalizing messages and personalizing content feeds on a B2C side. Yeah. Um, we, we typically see that the uh, the more crafted the, the uh, messages uh, there relates to campaigns. So that those could be the uh, big campaigns that are running PPC display that bring uh, visitors to the site. 
that are super focused on what what are what is the objective of this campaign, right? And then um, getting you to to the next uh, stage of that campaign. The uh, content feeds. Um, let's take a B two C site that could be a uh, products, right? Yeah. So so ranging Product, that articles could even be yeah. shows on Netflix or songs on Spotify. Yeah, anything that is typical, um, more like a dynamic entry. So products are dynamic, articles are dynamic, movies are dynamic, right? And those are often where you need to display the single product or the blog article. You have a you have a PDP page for products, yeah. right? You have a blog post page for um, for articles and and so forth. So um, so all of those comes with different uh, tags. So that could be uh, product categories, it could be a uh, price and so forth. So they are super easy to uh, essentially uh, personalize. Give me all products from this category ranked by this price because that's the data we have collected on uh, this visitor. And that can mm. be done very effectively even if the visitor is uh, anonymous based on a mix of different data. Could be inbound uh, campaign, could be what product categories have you looked at, what products have you looked at, Are they high-end products? Are they low-end products? Uh, are they um, accessories and so forth? And then uh, personalizing that. And similar, those tags can be used for articles or really anything. Mm. So so that is easy. That's more the programmatic. But typical, the messaging is more the crafted, right? We we are focusing on showing this based on specific uh, data. Yeah. And therefore, there's more work going into it from a marketer and merchant uh, point yeah. of view. And um, have also been one of the tough um, things to solve, right? Because there's only a certain amount of hours in the day and yeah. uh, you have to do more, there's more channels, right? And then personalizing this specific um, message for eight different uh, different uh, intents, right? Mm. That gets pushed to day two, to day three, et, et cetera, right? So, yeah. so content has been a big gap in actually going uh, live with personalization. And yeah. and that's also why we we really, are big fans of uh, AI because yeah. that can help um, make that burden much slower and then uh, give you a way to uh, to go in and, and basically approve it before it's uh, pushed live. Yeah. But you get some inspiration, right? You have a, yeah. a call to action that you want to use to get something. Ex exactly <laughs> like yeah. there's eight different variants based on eight different yeah. intents, right? Uh, yeah. This needs to be changed a little bit here and then you are live instead of, mm -hmm. ah, what should I right specifically for actually this currently looking for for examples uh, for for doing an update on the book uh, about generative ai and I'm, so i'm always asking uh, participants this so do you have any live example uh, or case that you know of where they are using generative ai for personalization we we have uh, folks that basically have invested in their old lnms So mm. they have their own data that they essentially are creating a uh, content uh, from. Yeah. So so that LLM is a large language model for for those who may yeah. not understand that. So, so that that's what we are seeing in the um, in the wild. Mm. Um, obviously, they are bigger organizations that have a lot of content that they can uh, train their models on. Yeah. Um, we are still getting a lot of questions about the different services out there, right? Like, um, and and then copyright infringement, right? So, yeah. uh, so if you use certain services, then um, you essentially have a get out of jail card uh, for free, right? Because the uh, fee that you pay for those services will also um, basically keep you out of uh, any trouble if you get um, sued. 
it comes from, uh, with an insurance policy. It does. So, uh, so, yeah. so where, where we see a lot of excitement early on in terms of all these different models, yeah. the larger enterprises either invest in their own LLMs or they, um, for instance, are investing in services where they won't get in uh, trouble. So I've seen some, so I, I see this trade-off between uh, how careful and sort of uh, how delicate you see that your brand is. So if you want to uh, have really high brand control and that you're really picky about how your assets will be displayed and how text will be shown to customers and so on, uh, and you're, you're very, very strict on regulations as to how this can happen, how this cannot, then it can be a hard time deploying the generative AI because you're not entirely sure what will come out there. I mean, it's very fine for drafting specific messages for uh, a variant of a message for a specific segments, but, but really doing this one-to-one personalization uh, where you had the generative AI do the exact copy of the individual image for a particular end customer. I see a lot of companies holding back on that because it's like, like self-driving cars. I mean, what if we have a traffic accident? I would rather just sit there and have my hand on the wheel and uh, make sure that I can do a quick right turn uh, if we're suddenly uh, going into an email traffic accident. And, and, and we are not seeing it on a individualization uh, yet, right? Because using an AI service, it's, it's still not as fast as you need it to be. So getting to that individualization where all the content is created for Rasmus mm-hmm. and the images you see is uh, created for Rasmus, we are not there yet. Where we, where we do see AI is more, um, you use the service, uh, for instance, you have long format content. That yeah. could be an article, that could be a white paper. And then you need, uh, it, yeah. yep, it could be a podcast, right? And then you need like the, um, the call to action for that uh, podcast, but you, you, you don't want to write that content. And if you have folks with different intents, you don't want to write specific call to action for five, 10 different uh, intents, right? Mm-hmm. That's why AI can can essentially help you super fast and it's controlled right because it's creating the message based on a specific subset of uh, content all right so uh, so that would be the uh, message part of this so in a b2c scenario would you then start with the product recommendation engines instead of the message personalization or, or where would you start in a b2c scenario it, it's a little bit of both uh, because the um, the content feed is more programmatic. Yeah. So, so it's more um, having a strategy for what are the different uh, logic that essentially should control this specific uh, list in a mm. dynamic zone. Yeah. Um, and that's something you typically um, have as part of the uh, solution. And then you make it easier for marketers and merchants to select the different criteria for, mm. um, for that uh, content feed. And then you, you typically have a couple of dynamic zones where you, where you use the messages more the uh, crafted. Um, and that could start either from big campaigns that are bringing a lot of traffic or for different site sections, um, different services, products, categories you have on the site. And then you create um, uh, different relevant parts to those using uh, the messages there. Mm. So a combination, really. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this changes uh, when you go to B- with B- uh, go into B two B. I see a lot of B two B companies having you know less content feeds. I mean, some of them have uh, if they've invested in content marketing, they have a lot of articles and how to articles and even a knowledge base or whatever. But quite often, if you some of the B two B companies who have fewer products tend to not not have as many content feeds, but more have 
I mean, basically a website solely made out of uh, messages, uh, so to speak. So a bit more long form content and, and combination with, with call to action. Um, so that also brings up the opportunity of actually, actually hiding content. I mean, do, have you ever seen any examples of, you know, just taking the website as it is and then just hiding certain elements for specific segments or people with certain intents? Yeah, def- definitely. And um, like subscribe to newsletter is a, is a good example, right? You yeah. subscribe to a newsletter, you don't want to show that box again. Yeah. Uh, often we see it being replaced by more a different component like a list. But yeah. we have also seen example of where it has been uh, uh, hidden. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of the B2B example, I, I think it's super um, exciting, right? Because B2B sites are typical, a little bit static, a little bit uh, pressure where yeah. um, it's a long sales cycle. But what we have seen is uh, using the right data for personalization can really increase the engagement and the uh, conversion. So what we have seen... Uh, the right data B is, for instance, tapping into thermographics. Mm. So now when you have someone on your B2B website understanding what industry they are in, how large a company are they, um, are they working for, right? And then you can have different target accounts list. So you can have a target account list that is all our customers, our hot prospects, our partners, uh, our competitors, and so forth. And then you use that to drive personalization. Yeah, But then going back to the content feed, there's a lot of value if you have the right taxonomy around your content. So for instance, if your content has been tagged with different industries, uh, company sizes, and so forth, then understanding that here's a visitor that is in manufacturing, 5K uh, employees and more, yeah. let, let's show uh, relevant uh, case studies there, yeah. right? So, um, so, so content feeds, is it takes a little bit more on the solutioning because often content is not properly text yeah so so you need to have a taxonomy for that that match yeah. to what you're trying yeah. to to, yeah. to match but once you have done that there's a lot of power in um, in showing something relevant because you can so quickly get lost in a p2p side right you have so basically what the, you're talking about is taking the segment and using that for filtering the content feeds. yeah exactly yeah. So and saying it, so yeah. based on this segment of i don't know a small medium-sized enterprises we choose to show uh, these products that fit them and these uh, case studies that fit their uh, sort of um, uh, company size, uh, so to speak. Yeah. And maybe with a message on top, which is more maybe creatively crafted, but that reflects and introduces and presents and justifies why you're seeing what you're seeing below. Yeah, it can be a case studies in your content feed, right? And then you have a more crafted message that is, is like, we are the uh, best insurer for uh, for this industry, right? Yeah. Workers' compensation uh, for this industry. We we are the leading, right? Um, that that is very effective, um, and you can also map that to different journeys that someone is in in a B two B context, right? So if we know you are you're an existing customer, then um, the content feed can be more related to the services you have, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can get more value from doing business with our brand and and we again we we help you learn more about what you have already uh, purchased and use that more so uh, this kind of brings us on to this just to some of the we're, we're drawing towards an end here so w- which kind of value you've seen from personalization on site i think we've already talked about increasing top line sales and uh, was it 19% you said 
that you could probably get more uh, from uh, in sales or top line growth if you uh, if you're comparing a, a personalized website to to a non personalized one. Uh, have you seen any, any examples of uh, where personalization is used to reduce service costs? Yeah, yeah, and reducing service costs would be to preventing someone uh, sending an email or someone uh, yeah. calling into a call center because that's more expensive. So the more self-service you can provide on, on the website, the better. Uh, mm. We've seen examples with with existing customers uh, getting them um, to the right path, right? And and basically for them to understand either more details about mm. a product that they have acquired or how to file a claim if it's yeah. more in the uh, insurance uh, industry. Um, in, in terms of... Um, Probably, I think, you know, uh, and, and we're actually doing this here at Agilic. So deciding which um, knowledge base articles to show yeah. for a specific client based on their industry or based on their uh, level of proficiency or how far they've gone with the platform. Yeah. yeah and, and, and that is highly effective, right? Because if they don't get the answer, then they will call or send an email or yeah. put a ticket in and, and then it's you fine, need but... someone. Yeah, but yeah. It's more expensive. Yeah. Um, I, I would also say it's Obviously, we, we talk about top line um, uh, can also be reducing churn, um, yeah. also a saving on the cost. But but in a longer sales cycle, just getting them from A to B, like I'm in the early stages, right? I come to your site. I will never give you my contact details because I'm not there yet. I'm looking at five other uh, competitors uh, here, mm. right? But just getting you from A to B, right? Like getting to that more detailed uh, or the customer case or the video testimonial is also important. So understanding where you are in the journey and what are the objective of each journey stages, because they they are not transactional, all of them, and then craft the personalization so it moves toward that objective based on the stage yeah. you're in. And then you yeah. basically go to the next and you go to the next and that's, yeah. that's different and they become more transactional. It's super yeah. important. And then measure that so you can see the effectiveness of personalization based on that. So that's like, uh, so instead of ne- necessarily always uh, measuring and uh, and looking at the end goal, you're basically looking at proxy metrics. How do we make people go there? Uh, yeah. So we have something that's maybe a, a bit more easy to work with and is easier to uh, decide which calls to action that you'd need in order to to get people further down the funnel or further along the, the customer journey. Yeah, so, ex- exactly. We, we have a strategy uh, board game. <laughs> Um, yeah. that basically puts your different journey stages with the different objectives of those stages. Mm. And then you uh, map out what are the uh, different personalized content uh, call to actions you have in the um, in the middle. And mm. those are based on importance, right? If we can get them to this, then we are being effective towards the uh, objective here. Yeah. So you can go down into the details of those different personalization campaigns and see how effective are we moving them from from where they are here and yeah. then uh, towards the objective against the um, the uh, non-personalized uh, visitors. Hmm. All right. Uh, talking about stages and uh, where to start and so on. I mean, you've, you've seen a lot of uh, organizations out there working with personalization. And as it is with uh, any good book uh, on uh, personalization, at least, it would seem that there always sneaks in some kind of maturity ladder or maturity levels, and uh, whether that's from one to seven, as in the case of uh, of your uh, your book, uh, which a few years old, realized that. I mean, I tried at first not to have a 
maturity model in in hello first name but then eventually i i did put one in uh, which uh, contains three uh, actually six different dimensions but with three maturity levels each so on a rough scale from one to three where three is good and one is uh, basically not personalized where would you reckon the average b2c website is on that scale they are probably um they are probably 1.9 right? Um we we still we still see a lot of uh, brands out there that that want to personalize, but it's more a matter of getting started and yeah. and, and launching, right? Uh, yeah. We we have the same um, gaps that we had ten years ago, right? So um, have we have it, we moved? Did we increase from 1.5 to 1.9, yeah. or do you think so? I I definitely think so because. Um, it, most people are more educated about data and what yeah. data can be the foundation yeah. for a personalization. What we also have seen in the last uh, 10 years is for instance, rise of CDPs. Yeah. So you, so you also have a, a more collection database of uh, details on your contacts that you can tap into across different channels and use that for personalization. Yeah. But 10 years ago, you have to sort of build that yourself and, yeah. and then you got into big infrastructure cost and aggregation oh, yeah. and all of yeah. that right so uh, so so you have more tools at hand now so we are definitely um we're we definitely seeing more uh, maturity out there mm-hmm. um but when it comes down to the individual brand the marketer the merchant um there's still a lot of desire to do it but yeah. for many it's still like yeah we we do it after uh, these next projects or this project that we're working on uh, now funny because i was discussing with uh, actually a few people uh, about who is in charge of the personalization projects and i think up until now it's very much been the data people and i think because of the fact uh, that there's been so so many issues with data and that's been sort of partially remedied or fixed by customer data platforms at least as you say we have less trouble with data now than what we used to and maybe even gdpr has done a favor uh, in that sense or ccpa or depending on which legislation you're under and I think the, but, but in order to have a personalized experience, it's pretty clear that you need the data to provide the insights. And once you have the insights, you also need the content. And if you don't have the content, there is no personalization. You're just having a lot of insights, but nothing to do with them. That's where the bow tie becomes, you know, crooked and you have a lot of insights, but no content unless, and we need to get that straight in order to move past the 1.9 uh, uh, point here on the on the little uh, maturity scale that we're talking about here. Yeah, um, you think so, we'll see more content people in charge or, or content, you know, move towards the um, further towards the front of the bus uh, in in these uh, personalization projects. Yeah, um, because content has also changed from being very coupled to presentation to be much more structured, free that can be used across uh, different yeah. uh, channels. The whole movement. Yeah, exactly. And and with more taxonomy, it also becomes easier to consume, for instance, in a content feed. So um, so, so definitely, um, now it's just a matter of hooking into that and use that in a programmatic way. I would yeah. also say, um, yes, we have seen the data analytics folks uh, pushing this. We are also seeing a lot of engineers, engineering managers that are pushing this with their brands mm-hmm. because of the way that the uh, modern web has evolved. So essentially, we are moving to more edge. That means that um, we can, for instance, render dynamic experiences on uh, on the edge. That means close to where your visitors are, where if we go back five, 10 years ago, right, it was server-side based. And most likely you had like 
one or two data centers in the world. And if you are in Australia, you have to go all the way to Frankfurt and then you have to wait uh, the latency until you see the uh, personalized experiences. Yeah. So moving to the edge and with these different frameworks that developers are using, they also begin to think more dynamic and, hey, this is where we could finally plug in personalization that doesn't break yeah. down our sky, uh, site and, yeah. and basically uh, scales, right? So, yeah. so there's a lot of like marketers, merchants, uh, it's here. You should uh, really consider uh, uh, using that as well to optimize conversions. All right. Um, I think we're drawing towards an end here, Last, It's been a huge pleasure. So I just have one final question for you, which I always ask the participants and the guests here. So your own favorite example of personalization that you've experienced as a customer, and, what would that be? And, and, and that's more analog uh, experience, actually. So, they so often that, are, I yeah. have to tell you. Yeah, and and, and it's, it's really, it was a really good experience. It, it was a boutique hotel in uh, Sausalito, California. Mm -hmm. uh, coming back the uh, second time, there was a nice handwritten note. Uh, Welcome back, Mr. Peterson, with a couple of uh, small treats, right? Yeah. But uh, I still remember coming in, uh, flying all the way from Denmark, tired. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, that's actually nice because yeah. there's a system that remembers me and they take yeah. some effort to uh, to do this for me. So um, yeah. I would go back there anytime um, because of that. So the element of surprise and being recognized and greeted by name and with something pleasant content the whatever the note and maybe the the sweets or whatever they brought with it yeah and it's it's a matter of if you can exceed the expectations right so yeah. my expectations coming into this hotel room after 11 hours flight was just like i need to sleep right <laughs> and then seeing something that i didn't expect it was yeah. exceeding my expectation and and that yeah. basically impacts the satisfaction right and now we're talking about it right so um, and I think so, if we're at a level of a 1.89 or whatever, I think there is still room for doing a, or making customer experiences that are personalized and thus actually uh, provide an experience that you didn't uh, anticipate and yeah. thus will bring you the extra value. Yeah. Last, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us here at the uh, Hello First Name podcast. Yeah, th thanks for having me. Great <laughs> to see you again. And to the, uh, to the listeners, uh, I would say, remember that you can download all the models uh, and uh, uh, all the illustrations that are in the book. Uh, if you go to uh, omnichannelinstitute.com slash resources, it should be there for, for free download. You can also download an abstract uh, of the book in writing. And of course, you can listen to the, uh, to the full uh, uh, book uh, over time, at least, because I'm uh, releasing uh, one chapter every other week of the book. Uh, but already around now, we are at chapter 13, and I think there's 25 chapters in the book. So half of the book should be ready for uh, your consumption uh, while you're commuting uh, or doing something else. So uh, uh, stay tuned for, for more episodes. And uh, again, last one last thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a classical audiobook chapter, we'll be listening to chapter 14, tying it all up in the bow tie of personalization. How should you approach the three marketing disciplines that include personalization? How do you measure value? What is a realistic end goal for the personalized customer experience?